This is a story about a centurion's servant who was healed. I was just reading this story, and there are a couple of things just jumped out at me. Have you ever been reading your Bible and something just leaped out at you? <clears throat> well, that happened to me when I read this. Verse 1, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loved our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not, when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter into my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man set under authority, having one, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returned, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. And you may be seated. Again, I just want to say uh, to all of you who went to the prayer conference, thank you so much for going and receiving all the spiritual food. And, you know, you get all that fuel. You need that in the wintertime, you know. <laughs> Because we need it winter and summer. And then to those who were here last evening at uh, our leadership and workers um, session, we really appreciate you for coming. Uh, Sister Grant told me that Brother Manley did a fantastic job. Amen. I really do appreciate Brother Manley and his leadership abilities. He's a great man of God. A great man of God. I want to speak from this parable and I want to just talk about uh, two simple attributes of the centurion centurion as you know is uh, was an army officer per se responsible for a hundred at least a hundred soldiers uh, I, there's some things in this that that uh, really jump out at me when I when I read this uh, <clears throat> First thing I want to just point out is this man's attitude. When the man, the man, when he he considered the Lord and what Jesus could do, uh, he just simply said that I'm not worthy that Jesus should come and and do anything for me. Now you'd think of someone in a notable position that uh, maybe his attitude would be just a little bit different from that. 
be just a little different from that. But uh, it wasn't. When, when he thought of himself in relationship to Jesus, he, he said, I'm not worthy. This is found in verse 4. I'm just not worthy that, uh, that the Lord should come and to, to my house. Not worthy at all. Uh, <clears throat> there's something here that I, I want to talk about for a little while because what, what I see, you know, see, tr- true spirituality brings about humility. Uh, I am amazed, however, that, that some people, the more they fast and pray, the more they get lifted up in pride. And it's amazing how, you know, if, if you're fasting and praying for someone that you feel that's maybe not as spiritual as yourself or less fortunate than, you, than yourself, the normal thing for you to do is to kind of elevate in your own mind yourself above that person. Because you, you get this attitude that I'm helping this person along. This person can't make it without me. And you, you know, you're going to pick that person up and, and help that person. I have known a few uh, young ministers my uh, lifetime that as they began to get uh, more spiritual, uh, they became filled with uh, pride. Uh, I, my mind goes to, to a man who was a pastor, a young pastor, and every time the church was doing something like having a banquet, now keep in mind, you know, he had a little small church, he's uh, out in the country. He is also the pastor, though, so uh, 99.9% of all the plans came from him. In other words, he endorsed it. If you're having a church picnic, he's going to be fasting. Uh, I'm, I'm serious. I, I was invited one time to come to a big banquet they were having, and, and <clears throat> I got there and drove halfway across Texas to get there. And, and he was fasting. He wouldn't, he wouldn't eat at the banquet. Uh, he was about my age, and I thought maybe I should talk to him about it. He did not receive it too well. But uh, every time that uh, uh, the church was doing something, he was, he was always just fasting. It, it looked good, you know. It really did look good. Now, I'm not, please understand, I'm not against fasting. I think we need to fast more. We have our 40-day fast chain going. And, of course, we have actually, let me just throw something out. We we have the 40-day chain fasting and prayer for our youth revival. But the truth of the matter is the way we are fasting and praying, that is, every week having you to raise your hand, we actually have a 365-day fast chain. But we wanted to... To, to cover it, this with as many young people as we possibly could but prior to the youth revival where the Yance is coming to be with us. We're going to have a great time. He will, he will just do us good. And we want to have a 100-soul revival this year. I, I believe that. I really believe that. I believe with all my heart. I really do. And so we need to fast and pray more. So I'm not saying what I'm saying uh, in any way to... to uh, make someone want to back up, not fast as much or pray as much. But I do know, I have seen a lot of people that really got into prayer and got into fasting that after a while they become so haughty that nobody could, could even deal with them. They just developed a good case of spiritual pride. 
I remember one young evangelist that came up with all these different uh, theological ideas. And uh, he was traveling, uh, going from church to church, and, and I had the opportunity to talk with him. Where did you come up with these ideas? In fasting and prayer. And uh, after a while, you know, he was ready to fight anybody. You know, I always thought that prayer and fasting uh, humbled us. You know, that's what I thought. If you notice uh, in the Old Testament, uh, fasting and prayer, uh, when they fasted and prayed quite often, you'll find the phrase sackcloth and ashes involved. And the reason why, because it was not only a time of the crucifixion of the flesh, but it was also a time in which they humbled themselves. Now, I suppose sackcloth would be pretty easy to describe. It's just cloth that you make a sack out of. <laughs> You've seen the old gunny sacks? When, when I was a kid, I, I just... Uh, my... Uh, my mother, we, we had chickens and a few animals, and she would always go to the feed store, and they had these feed sacks that had print on them. Of course, she made bread, and you get the flyer sacks, and they had, and she'd make me shirts out of these things. Now, I could always identify a, a feed sack shirt or dress. Sister Rutherford's laughing about it. She's worn a lot of feed sack dresses. You wash them a couple of times, and they weren't color fast. You know, they if you you know most of them were print, some uh, a flower with a, and sometimes the red flower would fade on the the background. And you go to go to school, and people knew you didn't have on a store bought dress, store bought shirt. My mother always insisted on cutting my hair. And it didn't look like a store-bought haircut, I'll tell you. <clears throat> she had, she she didn't have the electric clippers. She had the old kind of you squeeze, you know, just squeeze, squeeze. And I just, oh, I just hated. I mean, I literally hated a haircut because <clears throat> the things were dull and they would they would just pull. Just oh, I could not stand that. So I'd get this. This, I mean to tell you, this go-to-town haircut and the feed sack shirt, and I'd go to school. I just didn't really want to talk to anybody, you know. Now, I said that to say, see, in the Old Testament, <coughs> quite often when they're fasting and praying, they intentionally went to great measures to humiliate themselves because that quite often when God begins to give you revelation and God begins to give you understanding, it is easy then, after you come off your fast, it's easy for you to get lifted up and feel that you're a little bit more spiritual than everybody else. Jonah went to Nineveh. The Bible says the people fasted and prayed in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, you get this old speed sack and you make yourself a garment out of it. 
for the most part, you just got enough and you cut a hole and you put your put it over your head and it was worn over the top of the other garments. But not only did you do that, you went to where the ashes were and you just purposely poured these ashes all over yourself so that you were just plain old dirty. And then quite often when they would pray, they'd go to the ash heap and when they were praying, they'd get down and they'd pick up these ashes and throw up on their hair. Now, they crucified their flesh for sure. I mean, they really did crucify their flesh. <clears throat> but uh, today, that's, that's not the case. And because of this, it is easy for people to develop a good case of spiritual pride. Now, why am I saying all this? Because we are doing a lot of fasting and a lot of praying. We have to be very careful. The aftermath of success sometimes is so great, that is, as far as uh, what happens to us, that it, that it completely destroys the whole purpose of what we were doing. And some people can fast three or four days and pray and seek God, and they get the feeling so good, and the tendency then is, well, I won't pray for a day or two, or, uh, you know, I can coast for a, a few days, and <clears throat> you can do that. Now, we've stressed the importance of prayer. Uh, Brother and Sister Meadows were here and just did a great job. They talked about prayer. Uh, tonight, I just, I want to talk to you about this, because I think this is so very, very important that we understand this. It's extremely important that we understand this. That, you know, I just always thought that, that if you really got a hold of God, that there was a humbling process. We're going into uh, our seminar on home Bible studies. And it, it is amazing when people learn the truth, how sometimes how argumentative they can become. Paul explains this in the book of Philippians. He said some people preach Christ for contention's sake. In other words, they just know they can win an argument. So there's a certain element of uh, uh, pride that gets a hold of a person's heart. You know, some of the most disgusting people that I have ever dealt with have been people that knew a lot about the Bible. You couldn't tell them a thing. Sometimes saints even get to that point where they, they don't, don't have a teachable spirit. You can't tell them anything. They just know it all. <clears throat> Isn't that something? I think that's what Paul or Peter was saying when he talks to the wives that have unsaved husbands. 1 Peter 3. <clears throat> Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Conversation means their behavior. I'm not talking about their, their language. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. 
Now, he's not saying that what you wear on the outside is not important. That's taught other places in the Scripture. We know that it is. But what he's saying is, don't just feel that you're righteous simply because you dress right. See? But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. In other words, he's saying, hey, gals, I'm going to put it in, 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 in our language. Hey, gals, don't get a few scriptures under your belt and think you know it all and run into your household and think you're going to blast your husband into the kingdom of heaven. It ain't going to work. That's what he's saying. I know I, I do this every now and then. I think this would be a good, good night to do it. <clears throat> every now and then, I have uh, our minister's wives to stand when I'm talking to new converts. If you want to know how to conduct yourself, if you want to know how to dress, if you want to know what your attitude should be, what your disposition should be, take a look at these ladies. Just a manly stand. You'll never find a godlier lady than this lady. And a spiritual lady at that. Sister Grant, I want you to stand. Sister Rutherford, I want you to stand. Our elders' wives. Sister Ross, I want you to stand. Would you do that? Uh, we have uh, others. I'm just looking around. Sister Thomas, I want you to stand. Would you do that? See, uh, and, and, there, and there are others here, and some are no doubt are in the classrooms. But uh, if you want to know what... Oh, continue to stand. If you want to know what the attitude of a Christian lady ought to be, here's your example. Amen. I would not endorse any man going into the ministry whose wife was bold and brash and abrasive and someone who knew it all. Wouldn't do it. Sister Knopf, I want you to stand if you would. This lady is such a Christian lady. Stands behind her husband. Works with him on the campus ministry. Sister Derber wants you to stand. Brother Jim Derber, going into the ministry, found a lovely young Canadian woman, wanted to marry her. She came down here. And I was just so thrilled. Kim is an outstanding Christian lady. So if any of you new ones, if you want to know how to conduct yourself or how to act, here's your examples. There are others here too. You may be seated. You just, and, and that's not to say that we don't have, or we have many, many Christian ladies here in the congregation, I could have had you to stand also. You follow what I'm saying? But this is something that is extremely important for you to understand. Now notice what happened here. Let's go on through it. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, 
even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Isn't this great? See, true spirituality is not just seeing how high you can jump, how fast you can run. True spirituality is obedience to the Bible. I mean, this is God's idea. I suppose if it's God's idea, God can set the criteria. And He has. Now, <clears throat> let's get back to our, our story. <clears throat> because this, this is something that's, that's, that's so very important. And you notice what happened then. The centurion, even though this man had every reason in the world to be proud You'd think a decorated officer would be a proud person. But in the presence of Jesus, he says, Look, I just want all of you to know, I want my servant healed, but I'm not worthy that Jesus should come to my household. All he needs to do is just say the word. <laughs> he doesn't have to come because I, I, I just don't feel worthy that that the Lord should come at all. Now, what I want to do, I want to talk about this man's testimony. If you will look at verse 5 in Luke 7, in this Bible study, and I hope you're taking notes, notice two things, the, the two simple attributes that made the centurion a great man. Just two. Two simple attributes. Made the centurion a great man. Number one, he loved his nation. And number two, he had built a synagogue. Basically, I think we could, we could change that and it means the same. He loved people and he built a church. Those are the two things that he did. Pretty simple, really. I, I think first, we talk about loving people. You'd think a decorated officer that had a servant. Why? If that man died, he didn't get another servant. He didn't want another servant, Brother Tom. He wanted that servant. He was a people person. He loved people. I mean, he genuinely loved people. And I think that every Christian on the face of this earth, if you don't love people, if you can't get along with people. See, anyone who loves people can get along with people. Because you'll find a way to do it. If you find someone that cannot get along with anyone, they're always at odds with people. There's always things that are going wrong. You found a person that really doesn't love people. Always cross with someone. There's always just something, some friction. I don't know, just recently, I, I just have to confess to you that I, I've had to do a whole lot of praying. Because, you know, sometimes you fight carnality with carnality. I've been so disgusted with a few people that just can't keep their mouths shut and stay out of everybody else's business. I catch myself wanting just physically. I said, hold, hold it just a minute. I'm no better than they are if I, if I resort to that. But so help me, I can't understand people that can't get along with other people. 
I just can't understand that. You know, I, I make the assumption that Jesus was pretty easy to get along with. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think so? Do you, do you think Jesus was hard to get along with? Do you think he was grouchy, irritable, a know-it-all? Had a big ego. You had to, you think you think he was that way? People had to go around stroking him all the time because he pouted. Do <laughs> you think he was that way? No, he was not that way. He was not that way. Take your your Bibles and turn <clears throat> to the book of James. Boy, I like the book of James. It is so challenging. Man, <clears throat> there's a test of true religion, a test of good works, test of faith. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> James, James has the the book that meddles into your personal business. You know, I've heard people say, you know, if he just preach and not meddle. James does a whole lot of meddling, and I assume that most of you believe that this is inspired of the Lord. The old German Lutheran Bibles do not contain the book of James because they don't think it's inspired of the Lord. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with his meddling has to do with the fact that he teaches good works. And, of course, uh, Martin Luther's doctrine was the just shall live by faith, and some of the Lutherans then felt that uh, the book of James was not inspired because he talked about good works. But if you notice <clears throat> what he says in verse 14 of James 3, but if you have bitter and envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. <clears throat> All right. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. You'll find out that when God comes down and when God begins to move upon you, there is an element of peace that's there. In worship sometimes we sing peace, peace, wonderful peace. Well, that which comes down from above is peaceable. So I suppose it's all right to sing about it. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. It's easy to be entreated. That simply means it's easy to petition, to make requests to. God's easy to talk to. When Jesus walked on the face of the earth, he was easy to talk to. All right, easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is, is sown in peace of them that make peace. So here's the centurion. He loved people. He loved people. Obviously, people loved him. Now, you think of an, of an army officer, someone that, well, I mean, this man's respected and, 
revered and feared to the point that huh, we don't want to have much to do. Not so. I mean his friends came to his rescue. He was saying, oh, I don't think the Lord, I'm not worthy that the Lord should come to my house. But, but his friends were, oh, now that's not true, Jesus. Now I just want you to know that this, this man is an admirable man. He loves people. Not only that, he built a church for us. You think about that. Well, I want to talk about that just for a little while. I think that it's, it's worth mentioning. Talk about loving people, loving people. How can you say that you love God that you have not seen and you cannot love your brother that you see? But Jesus goes a step further than that. He says, love your enemies. Can you think of someone that, that, that you feel does not like you at all? Now you just think, think of the person in this life that you have the greatest difficulty with. Do you love that person? Hello? You still out there? I'll tell you how you can love people is if you will pray for them. <clears throat> you know, I use a telephone directory as, as, uh, as just a list for prayer. Our telephone directory is, is usually very current. Sometimes I have to add some names. And I'm not saying this to boast or anything, because I'm talking about prayer. And you should not be lifted up with pride. But as I look out across the congregation, I only see about three people in this church that I did not pray for today. I took the telephone directory and right down from A to Z began to pray for people. You know, and it, it makes you feel real good like we call Harold Wool's name. Most of you don't know Harold. Harold has only been here, what, uh, probably six or eight times. Uh, he comes on Sunday morning occasionally. He has leukemia. He's not expected to live. Uh, I prayed for Harold today. I mean, I really prayed for Harold. I don't want to see Harold die. I don't know much about Harold. I don't know much about his lifestyle. I just, I don't know. But I prayed for him today. And you know what? If you take, if you take the telephone directory and you'll keep it current by adding names, the new ones that come in, you see their names on the backboard. And if you will call everybody's name every day in prayer, you usually can avoid trouble in the house of God. I mean, how can you get down and ask God to help your brother and to, uh, to, to, to supply his needs and pray for him as a person Grant to him wisdom and grant to him understanding. How can you do that? And then, then hold feelings. Can you do that? Jesus even said, bless them that curse you. Do good to them which despitefully use you. In other words, they, out of spite, did something wrong. 
but I am going to do something good for that person. Now, maybe you don't understand how heavy this is. See, this was a situation with Cornelius, I find, in, in Acts, the 10th chapter. You can turn there. Most of you know the story, though. This is just a simple little Bible study tonight. We've been having a lot of preaching services and such, but I just really felt I should talk about this. Acts 10, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, another decorated officer of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people. Brother Thomas, he loved people. He saw people that had problems. He saw people that had needs. He opened his own wallet, his own checkbook. He was not greedy. He just loved people. How could he love people? Well, the Bible says he prayed to God always. You know what? I found this out. If you pray without ceasing like the Bible tells you to, did you know you can pray for a whole lot of things in the course of a day? You stop praying, you kind of lose your praying vocabulary. It's a good time to talk about this. If you, if you just go into your ritualistic, uh, now I lay me down to sleep prayers and such, and you don't pray the way you need to pray, after a while, you just kind of lose your, your vocabulary. You don't know what to say to God. You don't know how to say it. Five or ten minutes, you're finished. You prayed about everything you can think of. After a while, though, as you get into prayer, it seems like this inspiration comes and your vocabulary is there. It's like talking to a, uh, someone that you talk to every day. I could probably, if, if someone... Uh, wanted me to, I could probably listen on a telephone conversation and tell you if these people didn't even know I was listening, if these people were people who talked often. They seemed to be able to say a whole lot about nothing. <clears throat> That's the way friendships go. In other words... They, they so much enjoy communicating that, that they, can just, they can just talk about anything and it's an enjoyable thing. You see, the thing about prayer, it's not a matter of, well, I've got to have this and I've got to have that from God. That's why you pray. That's not why you pray. You pray because you enjoy conversation with God. And you have this vocabulary. You find that you can just talk to God about Almost anything. Your feed sack shirts and <clears throat> and home haircuts. <clears throat> Some of you who came in after I said that, you don't know what I'm talking about. You have to buy the tape. But <clears throat> we do sell them for five dollars a piece for latecomers. <clears throat> Two dollars for people who arrive on time. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <clears throat> <laughs> you 
You know, it is amazing, though, all the things that you can pray about. Here's a man who genuinely loved people. I think it's because the man prayed a lot. I mean, he really prayed a lot. He sought God. And this is the reason why the Bible says that his prayers and his alms came up as a memorial before God. The centurion of Luke 7, the centurion of Acts 10, they loved people. I've heard it said that possibly these were the same person, one and the same. I don't know. I don't think there's enough evidence in the Scripture, except that there certainly seems to be a parallel. This man was at Capernaum. Cornelius was at Caesarea, but that doesn't mean that, you know, people do move occasionally. That's why we have to upgrade our directory real often. <clears throat> How many of you moved in the last year? Let's see your hands. How many of you moved in the last two years? I have to raise my hand on that one. <clears throat> see? <clears throat> we have a very transient society. People do move. They always have moved. <clears throat> Love people. Love people. Love people. I can tell you one thing about Parkway, and I found this out. I've been there. I've preached there. I don't think I've ever seen a church where the people are more involved in winning than they are at Parkway. And the people over there genuinely love people. I can really tell you that. I, I mean that with all my heart. I've just never in my life seen a group of people that just, I mean, if someone has a need, they're going to take care of it. I'm serious with you. If someone has a need, they're going to see that it's supplied. If someone needs a ride to church, we're going to get them to church. If someone needs the Holy Ghost, we're going to pray with them. Appreciate our altar workers. My, 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 my. People who love people will pray with people to receive the Holy Ghost. You will do that. You will do that. Now, where was I? <clears throat> Let's go back to Luke 7. Luke 7. <clears throat> he loved his nation. Now, we normally think of loving a nation as like we love America. I think I can put this in. I I love Wisconsin. I love the United States of America. I, I really do. I don't like everything that's happening. I was listening to our governor, state of the state address, uh, coming to church. I thought he had quite an impressive speech. Spent a lot of his time talking about the Badgers. <clears throat> and the Rose Bowl and a winning team. Then he talked about Wisconsin and some of the things that uh, he has been able to accomplish. Of course, I've been working more, not in the political arena, but more in the personal lives of people than most any politician. I, I love Wisconsin because I, I like the disposition of the people. Now, throughout the state, of course, Brother, Brother Elkie's 
from up the Walsall area. Some of you uh, are from further north than here. How many of you are from Wisconsin up north part? Let's say, uh, okay. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I guess it's a German background. I don't know. See, the hospitality of the South is that you just never tell anyone no. That's just a word you don't use. You know, if, if someone uh, uh, wants you to come over to their house for lunch and you can't go, you don't say no. You just simply say, well, I'd like to, but, uh, you know, and that's Southern hospitality. When I first moved to Shawano, I couldn't, I, I had a hard time with the, the Germans up there. We had a girl came in our church, brand new convert. Sister Grant and I saw her walking down the sidewalk in front of the church. We stopped and we asked her, we said, Laura, would you come in for a few minutes? She said, no. No. I said, I didn't mean to offend you. She, she said, well, you didn't offend me. You asked me if I could come in. And I said, no. <laughs> what was wrong with what I said? <clears throat> well, in my mind, I was thinking, you were supposed to say, well, I don't think I can because, and then you go into this long, long spill. <clears throat> that's the way we do it in the South. You know? But I found out that's not, the way they do it, not not a Parenciano. It was hard for me to get used to, but I found this out about the people that uh, once you get involved in their lives, they're, they're so transparent. They always tell you, I mean, they don't leave you second guessing. I've been in the homes of some Southerners, and they'd have other company, and, and when the company started to leave, and I remember this happening one time, they said, oh, don't go, don't go yet. You might as well just stay around for a while. No, we've got to go. And as soon as they walked out of the door, I still remember this man says, thank the Lord, there you go. <laughs> they had two or three kids that was just tearing the house up. Get those kids out of here. <clears throat> well, it just so happened I had two or three, and I thought, well, <laughs> I don't believe I've ever been going to. <laughs> <clears throat> That's southern hospitality, first class, you know. But after a while, I, 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 de I developed a real uh, a lock for the, for the transparent nature of the people. They didn't leave me second-guessing, I, I knew. My dad was a very sharp, uh, curt, frank person. If he didn't like something, you knew it. I mean, that's just the way he was. Someone drove up one day to our my dad's place after I... Had gotten married. I just happened to be visiting there, and and he had already told my mother there was a man he went to school with. His name was Dolly Stokes. <laughs> Dolly Stokes. <clears throat> he said, uh, Francis, said Dolly's going to stop by here with some with some vegetables. He had a truck, and he peddled vegetables. He did truck farming, so he'd load this truck down with cucumbers and and carrots and tomatoes and you name it. He just got this truck loaded down. Watermelons, cantaloupes. So he drives up and he just blows a horn. So my dad said, I wonder who that is. Looked out there, there's Dolly Stokes. He came and sat back down. I started to go to the door and he said, son, sit down. So I just went and sat down. Blew the horn again. Mother came in and said, who's blowing the horn? He said, go back in the kitchen. She went by the kitchen. <clears throat> he blew the horn again. 
My dad all of a sudden just got up, went open the door, poked his head out the door and said, Dolly, we don't have curb service here. <laughs> Closed the door and went back in. <laughs> now that's, I'm telling you, that's the way my dad was. He came in, he sat down, started reading the paper again. All of a sudden, there's a little wee knock on the door. <laughs> My dad goes and opens the door. Oh, Dolly, good to see you. He acted like a... Dolly walks in. He never mentioned it to him, never said a word. Greeted, talked to him, went out and bought a bunch of stuff off of his truck. And after he left, my mother said, Emory Grant, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, well, I just thought I'd help him out a little bit. He said, I'm his friend. He said, well, you're not acting like it. He said, oh, but if he went up to a stranger's house and did that, uh, they wouldn't buy anything from him. So he won't do that anymore, you know. You know, Francis. So, you see, I grew up in a household. <laughs> That's the way my dad was. <laughs> That's just the way my dad was. If you wanted to talk about something he didn't want to talk about, you know what he'd tell you? He'd say, I don't think I want to talk about that. He's told me that before. He said, son, I don't think I want to talk about that. <clears throat> I think the Lord was preparing me for Shano. When he put me in that house. <laughs> Just extremely, extremely transparent. God gave me a real love for Wisconsin and for the people. And the reason why is because for the most part they were just they, they were just non hypocritical. I mean if if they had a problem they, they didn't try to cover it up with pride or something. Just a person went out and got drunk and just came in and said, Pastor, I, I I hate to tell you, but I sure sure did mess up this past weekend. I wasn't accustomed to that. I, I had become one of the greatest detectives in Pentecost <laughs> trying to figure out the problems. Because, <clears throat> well, I just had to, you know. <laughs> At least I thought I did. But, boy, I said, these people just tell you. If they're having a marriage problem, we got a problem. I wasn't used to that, but that's what they would do. Just totally transparent. me a real love for Wisconsin. I, I do. I got to tell you, I, I, I've often thought if God called me some other place, where would I go? I just don't know. I don't have a desire to go do anything. And more specifically, I got to tell you, I love Calvary Gospel Church. I love you folks. I go to the prayer conference and I see all of you. When you walk in, it's like the lights get brighter. I mean, really, it's just Oh, and I look all around. I say, oh, there's Brother John Repka back there. You know. Look over here and say, oh, there's some of the ladies from the church. Look up in the balcony. See this one. In. Look over here and see that one. Music started and I saw Brother Jeff 
run across the front down there. So. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel good. Here's a man that just, he just genuinely loved people. I mean, he really did. He genuinely loved people. He was not embarrassed with their faults. He was not embarrassed with their failures. He just loved people. You know what? He loved them enough that he built a church for them. You know, I thought, when I read this, I thought about us building the church here. I've had people come into this, this, this building and look all around. I've taken preachers through, tour the building. You know, it's not the fanciest building around, but we did it, did we? And we did it with our own hands. I remember when <clears throat> Sister Diane, Brother Dave Weekly were working uh, with me and ordering materials, Sister Diane went over to the drywall place and ordered a whole semi-load of insulation. And the reason why that we got it as cheap as we did, because the man says, if I don't have to handle it, the semi-load load will come in. You can take it right in your church. We got the men, and we, we, just, we just started bringing in insulation. We stacked it right down through here. It was a stack as tall as a ceiling, about six or eight feet wide, all the way to the back. Come in, you say, my, 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 the insulation. We had so much insulation, we moved it around, we almost wore it out before we got it in the wall. <clears throat> then we got the drywall. We had drywall stacked all over the place. I'm here to tell you, steel studs, you know what? We had fun, didn't we? We built a church. We built a church for Jesus and for the people. <clears throat> Brother Aaron came over. He wanted to spend some time with me, and I said, well, if you want to work. He came over one Saturday night. Now, he had to drive home. We worked till 11 o'clock on Saturday night on a scaffold right over here. I was putting up all of this in here. Did it with my own hands. Brother Don Moran came over one time. Late at night, we built this wall across here. If you see any crooked places, that's Don's fault. <laughs> see, he's not here tonight. He's in a board meeting, so I, I could say that. We did it. Did it ourselves. You bring your children to be dedicated. You walk down the aisle to be married. We did it because we care. You know, I'm glad we did it. Now, we're going to be building on, and I don't know that I'm going to be so happy about that. I think we're going to see if we can get someone else to do it because there's more to church than just a building, see. I think we've reached a point now in which uh, we should wait. Let a contractor do that, and we become involved more in the people business. At the time, we just we didn't have any alternative. We started laying out the parking lot, Brother Dan Capaggio and some men came out here early in the morning. We started 5 o'clock in the morning. And we'd work out there till dark. Then I'd come inside and work. I worked several weeks, 90 hours. 
and preach on Sunday. I thought I was going to die. Well, I just loved it. <clears throat> you know? Really, you, you do it. You, wow, I just, wow. Have you ever prayed at the altar with someone to the point you just thought, I'm just going to die? I've done that, and then when they walk out and I'd sit down, I'd just, oh, man, I felt good. It's just, you're doing it for people. We went down to the hospital with Tom Harris and sat down there and prayed and everything. I got in the car, and maybe I told you this. Sister Grant and I were talking about men were tired. We said, but you know, my, the renewing of my calling to the ministry came back to me. It's just something came over me that was so fulfilling and so satisfying. Just so great. So great. And you get up on top and crawl around up there. All the screw guns that were burned out. Tons of screws. <laughs> Not really. A ton, you know, is 2,000 pounds. That's a lot of screws. But we had a lot of screws. We'd burn the trunk. The state made us put this plywood down on top of metal. And you drill a hole through it and then put a screw through it. It takes a long time. So we got the self-tapping screws. We'd go down there and put that down. You had, you had to be just right. What are you doing? I'm building a church. I'm going to build a church. Who are you building it for? I'm building it for, for Jesus, for this community. And we just took our Christmas for Christ offering. There is nothing more notable in life than to give the world a church. Nothing. Last year, Brother Capaccio gave such a liberal offering. He just received money that he wasn't expecting. I'll tell you what. Only eternity. Only eternity will reveal the sacrifice that not only he made, but that you have made. And the true value of all of this. I know it's not just it's not just a physical building, but we have to meet someplace. Painting of the walls, finish of the drywall. Tom Nelson, Brother Rich Thomas, working on their jobs, coming over here working at night. Brother Jim Rivest did some of the wiring in here. He wasn't one of us at the time. He is now. And we called in someone to put this up. I think Brother, Brother Jim put this, this up. We paid him to do it because he wasn't saved. I think, he, I think he ought to give us our money back now. Just joking, Brother Jim. But I remember him telling about working on the job with some of our men, with Roy and Ray and some of them. He said, man, these guys are different. <clears throat> they talk to him about the Lord. After a while, he comes out to the house of God. He has certainly done his share since he's been here. He's changed the ballast and all these lights four or five different times. <clears throat> Working on the house of God. 
contributing, doing what you can do. You know, really, if I had to, if, if I had it to do all over again, I, I'd just do it all over again. It's just, it, it, it's so satisfying. Just, there's just something about it. Did this for my God. I did this for my people. I did this for this community. Sometimes you look at things like this, you say, you mean to tell me this really makes a difference to Jesus? Well, let me tell you what Jesus had to say about it. All right. <clears throat> Jesus confronted the man. The man said, Lord, I'm just not worthy that you should even enter under my roof. Now, he'd heard the testimony, a very simple testimony. He said, now, Lord, all you have to do is just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. He said, Lord, I know, I know you can do this because, he said, for I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. I say to this one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, now not just what the man had said, but what the people had also said about the man. He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The simple attribute of the centurion. The two simple attributes. He loved people. And he built a church. And would you believe he was humble about it? He wasn't expecting any kind of an award. No pat on the back. No special recognition. Even when Jesus came, the people said, Now here's a good man. He's worthy, Lord, for you to go to his house. But when Jesus started to go, the man says, Lord, I am not worthy. Don't, don't go to my house. You know, it's not that he didn't want an honored guest there. He just... He just didn't feel that he wanted to take up a busy man's time to go. He said, Lord, all you have to do is just say the word. My servant will be healed. And Jesus said, after he heard all those things said about him and heard his own testimony, he said, I have not in all of Israel found this kind of faith. Do you know that faith can move mountains? Do you know that faith can move God? Would you believe that if you become involved in a genuine people ministry and also a ministry of taking care of the house of God? Both are important, you know. But the thing about it, they both denote your faith in your God 
that you're working for and performing for. I have not found this kind of faith, not in all of Israel. I'd like for you to stand with me at this time, if you would. Such a love, such a love, such a love. You know, Jesus even said, the love that you show one toward another is going to serve as conclusive evidence to an unloving world that you're my disciples. You know that? That's what he said. I like to see people loving each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I really love you. Turn to two or three people around you. Tell them that. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Isn't God good? Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. This, this is the kind of story that you can read, apply it to your life, and grow spiritually. You know that? You can do it. I especially want to talk to all of you I hope that God has talked to you. As we're entering into the greatest effort of prayer and fasting, let's keep ourselves humble and full of faith in the sight of God. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like someone could receive the Holy Ghost here tonight. If you're here tonight without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God can fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost tonight. You never repented of your sins or been baptized in Jesus' name. God, God, God can forgive your sins and wash them all away in water baptism tonight in His precious name. He can fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Our altars are now open if anyone would like to come to receive the Holy Ghost, to repent of your sins. Step right out and just come on down to the front and kneel and pray. Come on, right now. Would you do that? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless the little ones that are coming. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Isn't the Lord great? God bless all these little ones that are coming. Praise God.